at Home podcast. Here are your hosts, Scott Bear and Jeremiah Johnson. Hello, my name is Scott. I'm Jeremiah. And welcome back to the Lost Home podcast, episode 122. Uh, this week we have an interview. We have Davin Wood on, who will be joining us shortly. Uh, but before we get into the interview, we have a quick ad roll to uh, give you guys. Bambox. The Bambox is the best subscription box currently on the market, and if you use our link on our on our website, lostonepodcast.com, and use offer code LAH10, you can get 10% off what is literally the best geek subscription box on the market. So far, so good with that one. If they've, we've seen a few of them pop through, and they have been slam dunks every time. I, I realize, actually, the last couple of times I've described them, I've described them in sports terms, and we're not sportsy people, but sometimes it makes sense. A slam dunk. Have you ever seen Kazam? I have seen parts of it, if I remember correctly. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> so, I didn't know if you were trying to lead me into something there, but what no, we I are just curious. It just popped into my head. I forgot all about that movie. But we are trying to lead our uh, listeners into what could quite possibly be an amazing experience for them. These boxes don't come with uh, toys and gimmicky things. Uh, these come with Hollywood replicas, like real collectibles that, like, no matter what you get, you're gonna get something just that cool that you couldn't get anywhere else. Or these we're exclusive... talking like confines. Yeah, yeah, they're they're. Um, Things, yeah, they're like they're autographed items. The good thing is you don't know what they are, but each time, like they go out of their way to make sure. First of all, they get they have ex- exclusive deals through um, uh, certain companies and certain groups and certain artists and stuff. Where when you get something, it's just it's specifically for this box in a lot of cases. Oh yeah, you're not um, buying it anywhere else in any store, so not even at cons. It, it honestly, is, yeah, it is it is like a confine where you get one and then like that's that's what's going to be out there forever yep. and that's it so. now in past boxes they've given away replicas of batarangs from the batman movie that are metal and are identical to what you see on the film uh there's a replica of jason Voorhees' hockey mask from friday the 13th signed by the actor who first played that jason one i Voorhees. wish i had man i would have as a horror geek man i really oh, wish I, I i was we were in it uh when that one came out we we got the sponsorship right around the time that box shipped, so we got the well, the next box we got was awesome actually. Yes, so. eighteen karat gold uh, replica of the the one ring from Lord the of the Rings. The one ring, Lord of the Rings. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Yep. Uh, uh, in addition to a couple autographs, we got two autographed items in that box. That's correct. Uh, we, we got a bunch of other glass. fun little it was things. Awesome. So. Yep. So uh, yeah, definitely uh, go to the band box and uh, make sure you use our link on our website, lostonepodcast.com. And when you go there, use LAH10 to get 10% off. Yes. And I meant Google Cardboard, not Google Glasses. You didn't get those. I, Google Cardboard is actually way cooler than Google Glasses. So kind of no. is, yeah. So, then, then, yeah. so um, anyway, yeah. And uh, this month's theme is Galactic, which uh, they're already pushing Star Wars, Star Trek, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, and Aliens as possible themed items within the box. So who knows what you're going to get. Uh, I'm hoping for a replica lightsaber hilt signed by Mark Hamill. Uh, fingers crossed on that one. <laughs> <laughs> the one used in the movie. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah so uh, make sure to go do that because it supports the show and it keeps the lights on here at Lost at Home and, and Podcast Studios. And also you're just going to get cool shit anyway. Like I, I became an immediate fan uh, and ordered them for myself regardless. So um, I wasn't necessarily expecting that, but we, we do actually enjoy the stuff that we put on as sponsors. So Absolutely. Want, I want to pass that enjoyment on to other people while also keeping the lights on at the Lost at Home Podcast. Now, without further ado, we have Davin Wood here in the studios today. Yes, correct. I believe he actually he's phoning in, but we'll uh, you know we can pretend that he's right here. I put a uh, doll in the corner and I wrote Davin across its face. <laughs> I hope you didn't have like memories about that one from your childhood. Oh Jesus Christ, oh, it's, it's frightening. <laughs> 
but uh, Dabin, uh, if you don't recognize his name, you probably have recognized his very, very absurd work with Tim and Eric. He has done just about everything with Tim and Eric since Tom Goes to the Mayor. Tom Goes to the Mayor was very weird, had all these awesome guests on it from back in the mid-2000s-ish. And uh, then, of course, Tim and Eric's awesome show, Great Job. Um, that was just a really freaking weird thing. I feel like it's almost divisive. People like love it or hate it. Absolutely. But, but, but those uh, like me who love it uh, are very geeked out about having Davin Wood on the show. He's done that. He's uh, And by doing that, I mean he is actually the chief composer and has pretty much done about 100% of the music behind all those things and also including a, a project with Tim Heidecker called Heidecker and Wood. They've released two albums. Uh, Yacht that Rock. stuff. Absolutely that is like, love yeah, Yacht that, Rock. That is like, it's, it's <laughs> like, and you would call it, and we're going to talk to him a little bit about this uh, to, to find this out, but you would call it a parody, but it's so genuinely, authentically good. The parody is just that it's just such a good recreation in a way. Let's um, let's spend so. an equal amount of time to what we're going to spend on the interview uh, theorizing, theorizing about all the, of his answers. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God, let's, <laughs> let's do that. Actually, how about instead of doing that, we just talk to Davin Wood right now. Let's do it. Welcome to the show, Davin. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Now, uh, before uh, we started recording with you, we gave a little rundown of some of the work you've done, but in your own words, uh, would you like to fill in the listeners as to uh, how you would describe your own career? Let's see. Just sort of lucked into an online meeting with Tim and Eric, who just happened to share some very specific sensibilities as far as comedy goes. And um, that's been, uh, it's probably characterized most of it, working with those guys and some, you know, some other uh, related folk. When we first kind of connected, it was in that very sort of dialogue in you know 90s corporate speak that was the thing that turned me on about those guys like wow that's like every email i've sent out to my friends in the last two years but uh yeah just you know a lot of word of mouth stuff some you know spinoff things and etc it's been it's been really great now were you friends with uh tim and eric themselves before uh this project was handed to you your first project with them no um it was um it was at completely out of the blue. I was a huge fan of uh, uh, Mr. Show, and you know, um, Bob and David had a website, you know, BobandDavid.com, which I would sort of follow. You know, I, when I first moved to LA, I used to live near the old Largo Club, Largo, and um, you know, we'd go down there on Monday nights and see Paul Tompkins. Sort of, you know, his Monday night there was a lot of the same folk, and uh, they sort of promoted Tim and Eric on the Bob and David site that showed up like very early you know video there's i believe it was uh gator man attacks and i saw it and I just was like oh, okay these guys are either geniuses or they're making fun of them <laughs> like <laughs> and uh you know they would always have a scroll on those early videos you know this tim and eric.com is always about tim and eric.com you know that sort of built-in self-promotion thing and um went and checked out their site and just you know very very quickly realized oh my god this is great you know and i just um I had an idea in the middle of the night, just set this uh, one of their sort of audio jingles, just them sort of yelling into a mic about a company to music um, without really thinking about it. And um, said, hey, I thought this was funny. And, uh, you know, I had a whole bunch of emails uh, when I got up the next day and got on the phone. They had just moved here and uh, had secured, you know, pilot money for Tom Goes to the Mayor. And that's pretty much it. That's, that's how it started. Well, when you were actually, uh, I was curious too, when, Working on the Tim and Eric projects uh, specifically, um, how closely did you actually work with them, especially like the live action stuff on uh, awesome show that wouldn't have necessarily just been done in a voiceover studio, but actually 
with the group and while the shooting were you actually like there in the studio like writing and fleshing things out on your own uh i was very rarely on the set uh, uh, like i worked as a <laughs> grip electric for a while and a little bit of uh ptsd as far as that goes <laughs> but uh most of the time it would be a phone call to uh sort of dial in what they were looking for and i would just set to work it you know of course it varied but on on the average i would get some pretty vague notes you know like uh here's a song and uh it needs to sound like the scorpions but it's you know it's it's about uh how great it is to have a new couch or whatever and just sort of uh <laughs> go into writing it sometimes there were actual lyrics uh, that they would have. Sometimes Tim would do a very quick rough of something, just, you know, guitar and vocals or and things like that. Um, when I would go in, there's several, I'm thinking of one particular session, uh, the uh, Raz song about the best vacation in season one of Awesome Show. You know, that was a case where um, I'd come in, we'd had a meeting about, you know, something else and then had a, you know, nice big session about that tune. I don't know. This may be the some of the stronger ones where we're all together in a room just sort of riffing and uh, making notes. Well, that's a, that actually brings me to another question I had about, um, you know, how common it was or whether it happened at all that like a music idea drove you know, like a bit or a sketch uh, versus how often it was that an existing sketch actually just needed music to be written to support it. It sounds like you kind of answered a little bit of that saying, you know, that, uh, you know, Tim would say it's supposed to sound like this and that. But was it ever did it ever happen where you two were just working on a song and said, oh, we need to actually make a skit around this? That's a good question. I'm, I'm going to have to I'd have to think back to the whole um, your entire career. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. In, in a heartbeat, go um, back to your entire career and tell us one very specific moment. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's happened. Bef that's happened before with, um, other people. Um, one of the guys that, uh, that I met through working with Tim and Eric, John Kreisel, who's now doing, you know, uh, Portlandia and, and baskets and stuff. Yeah. That's happened there. I know where I woke up with a tune in my head and it said, hey, I know this isn't right for the thing, but here it is. And it's like, oh, this is great. Yeah, yeah, it's not right for it, but we're going to write a thing about it. And, um, but yeah, I think a lot of, uh, I think most of the time that they would come to me, it was pretty, they knew what they wanted. You know, it was just sort of my job to realize that and, you know, actually make it sound like some kind of fractured hollow notes thing or, or yeah. whoever it was. Yeah, that actually, uh, I mean, that I guess that's kind of a good segue into the Heidecker and Wood stuff that I really wanted to talk to you about. Um, which has a sure. strong that is a strong throwback of the of the seventies and eighties. Uh, I guess they call it sometimes yacht rock uh, is what I've heard it called. Or, or right, uh, or, you know that soft rock, that classic stuff, um, like Steely, oh, yeah, Steely yeah. Dan, Chicago stuff like that. Um, now, were you all a uh -huh. fan of that style going to that project, almost tribute style, or was this like a style that you just saw was rife for? I guess I'll call it parody. I, you know, I think that um, it became you know as as we worked together, me and Tim sort of you know, realized that we, we sort of default to the same era of music, you know, like the 70s, 60, late 60s and 70s stuff. And um, th that sort of became a thing of, I don't know, we were over, I was over at Tim's one day and he's, you know, mentioned soft rock. And we we had actually dipped our toes in it before with this uh, Rolo Tony Browntown stuff, oh, yeah. you know, and it, Again, I remember which that. was, yeah, that was another case. That's, I mean, that's how I met those guys was one of their, you know, they love to do these corporate jingles and then call the company and go, okay, well, we're done with the jingle. We need, you know, we got, we got to get that check in for the new microphone, you know, and just put, put people on the spot. Yeah. They were just like, okay, well, you know, in season one, we did some in credit things where there would be, you know, 
some kind of hacky song in the episode, but then in the end credits, it would be like the quote unquote real song. Oh yeah. The polished and, version. Uh, I, I noticed that many times. Yeah. That was a lot of fun. And there's some great alts I should put up on my website, like a B 52s version of, uh, David Lee Bard. Stuff. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Go into the light. You know. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, that that was that was kind of the first uh, bit, and you know, my friend JD Riznar, of course, who did the yacht rock stuff with Channel One Hundred One. You know that that was just sort of uh, kind of a riff that was happening. You know, Tim had asked, like, I want to do kind of a Michael McDonald sort of soulful uh, vocal thing about this Rolla Tony stuff, and I don't know. I just uh, sent him what I sent him, and that just ended up being it. But uh, yeah, we were just uh, we were overworking on some at Tim's house, and he mentioned the idea of doing a soft rock record. And I was like, yeah, let's, you know, we both sort of, I think his dad was of, you know, the right age to where me and Tim both sort of were exposed to the same era of music growing up, even though there's, you know, an age difference, but that was just something just kind of sitting out there. Like what, what was that? Why, you know, why did everybody have to rock mildly? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they couldn't quite bring it up to the level of like real rock at that point. Like, let's chill out for like a decade. That's cool. I love yeah. The, I love yeah. the way you put that rocking yeah. mildly. Yeah. It was still definitely rock. Yeah. It was definitely like, it was like just rock, like just uh, eunuch rock or something. And like the balls were chopped <laughs> Eunuch off. rock. Yeah. 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 Well, it's, it's, it's kind of reflected in some of the lyrics too. Like, it's just like this. You know, there there was this '70s sort of ideal of there, there were two different ones. There was like the macho thing, you know, and you had a guy with <clears throat> big mustache and a and a perm. <laughs> yeah, that's, macho that man. Was, that was macho know. at the yeah. time. That was definitely macho at the time. Yeah. And then the the sort of sensitive, you know, '70s guy that goes out in the woods with his male friends and beats on drums and talks about his feelings. There are two competing ideologies, which you could probably differentiate by which cologne they wore. <laughs> but uh, that, yeah, that was the, the soft rock was definitely like, hey, sometimes your lady doesn't want to hear Ted Nugent, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Put on that's something true. a bit nicer, but it's not that it's not that Montavani stuff from your dad's record collection. This is new, and you know stuff like what was their name, Starbuck, Moonlight feels right. You guys know that one. Take you on a trip beside the ocean. Drive the top of Chastity Bay Ain't nothing like the scattered dose of potion The moon will send you on your way <laughs> Moonlight Feels right You know, later on, uh, Rupert Holmes had that, like, you know, Pina Colada song, and there's Bertie Higgins. There's, there's all this awful crap that was <laughs> on the radio. It's, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. Sa- it's safe rock. Yeah, yeah. It's non-offensive. It's something your, it's, your parents could overhear that, you. And, yeah. and we can, you know, we can look back and go, like, you know, ah, uh, hollow notes, that was fun. You know, that was bouncy, you know, kind of stuff. But a lot of the music back then, you know, Seals and Crofts, uh, you know, all that just really wimpy kind of gushy sort of lyrics. Like Hall and Oates came out and they were like, they might as well have been kissed compared to that. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Hey, uh, Hall and Oates are still like, they, they had like a bit of a resurgence recently where they kind of like just started back up on the circuit and like hipsters just really? decided that, yeah, apparently I was watching like a documentary recently. Well, their, their, their shit was great. Yeah. The Hall and Oates music is awesome. Apparently yeah. it came back around just I've, I've like been... enough where hipsters are all about it. Like people are loving it. So Outside of, outside of any current trends on what exists Exactly is the the point of retro for for people now. I spent some time last year defending 
you know, Huey Lewis in the news. Oh, dude, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I just actually went on a big Huey Lewis in the news binge recently. I just, I wanted to listen Did to Did you really? Yeah, yeah, I don't know why. I mean, it, it brought me back nostalgically, but also, like, the songs, every once in a while, I listen to something where I, you know, that, that kind of love-hate thing you've got with it, where you're like, it's cheesy, yep. and I, I pretend that I hate it, but then I, like, listen to it, yep. and be like, yeah, I'm just listening to it so I can laugh at it, but I fucking love it. I'm like like holding it in my yeah. heart yeah that kind of happens with me yeah so it i i think what it had what it's got to do with for me is uh you know they were a real band you know they were just like these road dogs that, that got noticed and got a record deal and you, you can it, it shows in their music this isn't a project they were uh as far as i know like a, a real touring band kind of like with uh tom petty and the heartbreakers yeah i noticed that uh like it, it seems like you have a like a pretty broad musical background or at least like a way that you you definitely listen to music in a way that you pay attention to the underlying style of it because i can kind of hear that in uh even general tim and eric stuff where it sounds authentic enough where it it could almost pass as like a regular song if then you didn't actually listen to the lyrics on top of it or how absolutely ridiculous it is yeah that's it's just been a fascination of mine. I, I, uh, you know, like I mentioned before, was a big um, Mr. Show fan, and you know, Evan Schletter did such a nice job on that show with his version of Verisimilitude. You know, make it do a thing that sounds like the Beatles or or whatever, and that that was a pretty big inspiration. I had gone to school to learn production, you know, but back in the 80s when they're like, one day the computer will be used in the studio and that's going to change things. <laughs> and, um, and nobody believed them. <laughs> you know? Yeah, right. Futuristic mumbo. Yeah, it's, it's, th- that's the real fun part you know, for me is just trying to dial something in, make it, make it really, try and make it sound as much as you can, you know, given the time constraints, like it was a real song from, you know, early Pink Floyd or, you know, a, a terrible brass band from the 50s, that kind of thing. That's, uh, you know, like when I was putting together my website, I got all this stuff together and realized that, you know what, that's, that's a whole collection of stuff that I like for reasons that nobody is ever going to parse. Like, just put the ones with the famous people in it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. But, yeah, it's, it's you know, I pretty quickly realized how gratifying it was to, to one, have the tools, and two, be asked to make a living making fun of music because I had a lot of sort of musical grudges that have been kicking around for a long time. <laughs> oh, it's nice to be able to take those out and actually kind of do it in the same way that the people you sort of hate be like, yeah, I can do it, but I can actually just kind of make fun of you while I'm actually doing your thing better or the same as you. Like, you have a formula, so I can do it. Yeah, it was, in particular, you know, with some of the, you know, the guest singers and stuff, it was, it's it's really fun to, to do a track in the style of, you know, David Foster era, Peter Cetera, and then actually have Peter Cetera come in and, and do the vocal and like walk in that line of, I don't want to piss him off, but I do want to acknowledge that there's something to be mocked here. Right. Yeah, you, yeah. you have to and, cross uh, your fingers. Nope. He has a good sense of humor. Well, that's why I, 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 when I said earlier, I would call it parody is what I was talking about with Heidecker and Wood. Cause I, I kind of use the term loosely because there's an authenticity to that, like that specific project that is such that if I weren't to actually like know that it came from you and, and Tim, I don't know if I would have necessarily like pegged it for a parody right off the bat at, without like listening deeper. Um, and I remember actually I was listening to uh, an interview with, I think it was you, Tim, um, 
uh, you and Tim, and you were talking about the Amy Mann song and about how it kind of came out after why it was funny. Like it was written almost as a serious song. And then it kind of came out with like Amy Mann and, and Tim, uh, you were kind of like talking about like, Oh, the reason it's funny is because this is what it means. Actually. Oh yeah. Yeah. I think that was, Amy, I think that was Amy's sort of insight was noticing how like everything, every, the, the whole outlook gets better the more they drink. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I was curious, like just in general, like what the difference in writing process is with something like that, where you're kind of almost paying comical tribute to a style and, and, and trying to pay it like homage almost like uh, like kind of faithfully recreating it versus actually doing something really like silly where you're doing like some of the Tim and Eric stuff where clearly it's it's absurdist comedy right yeah it's I, th- I think it comes from kind of like a bit of Stockholm syndrome you know we sort of grew up with these songs that were you know songs that if you really think about it like wait, why is this guy singing about you know like Eric Carmen, you know, that all by myself song, like, you know, your life is so tragic that I went into a recording studio and hired an orchestra. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Can you really believe the validity of a very famous rich person saying they're lonely? But apparently enough people did. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, Right. Where it hits you. I was talking with that back in the nineties with a great old friend of mine and we're, you know, touching on that, like, you know, uh, Bruce Springsteen, you know, raking in millions of dollars and, you know, going on tour with that. I'm here for the working man. Yeah, the working man, blue jeans kind of guy. I'm like, you could your blue jeans probably cost forty five hundred dollars. Or yeah, God. He had the he had the greatest quote. It was uh, he goes, yeah, like you know, John Bon Jovi. You know, Tommy used to work on the docks. He's like that guy's high school job was working at a recording studio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Wipe it, yeah. wipe it. Wipe, wiping up Aldo Nova's vomit. <laughs> I mean, that, that's no picnic either. Yeah, but, but it's definitely not working on the docks. Yeah. It, it's no. a different type of vomit. But yeah, it's it's like, you know, there's a lot of effort and craft, you know, put into some of that stuff. And some of it's really, some of it actually, you know, holds up. And, it, you know, had some inventive instrumentation. Like one in particular I'm thinking is, I think it was Seals and Croft. Summer Breeze, you know, Summer Breeze makes me feel fine. back and you go okay well there, there's a soft rock standard but uh a lot of the instrumentation a lot of the musicality of it is pretty it's pretty cool and kind of inventive so it was you know it was sort of making light fun of very light music for the most part it's just kind of funny how tender uh rock and roll got in the 70s <laughs> it did especially coming from the fucking like the balls of the 60s like the shit that like really created the rock and roll yeah came around, like yeah we're coming off of like the rolling stones zeppelin yeah. beatles and all that and we're like well we're just gonna bring it down a notch folks oh and some of the, <laughs> some of the early like proto heavy metal stuff you know it's it's as if you know the the female audience was targeted with like hey 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 it doesn't have to be so harsh baby i'm gonna treat you nice yeah uh I'm still gonna rock and but, uh, yeah yeah, yeah, it's it's rock enough. Yeah. It's where, wherever you want it, you know. We'll, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the early fascination, I think, that kind of runs through Heidecker and Wood was when when it was sort of the other way around. When you had somebody like James Taylor, I remember 
very early days, like James back on SNL when they would have a musical guest on and they would play for a really long time. And it's when a guy like James Taylor decides to, you know, rock out, you know, <laughs> yeah. rather than somebody softening their stuff, like, you know, Kiss doing a disco song or the Rolling Stones doing a disco song. This was like, you know, what happens when, you know, Jackson Brown tries to burn the house down like it's very awkward and weird <laughs> which More almost awkward, makes yeah. it better yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now um I, i'm curious uh what are you currently working on and if you don't mind me asking because i know sometimes when you're working on certain projects you're not allowed to uh to be to let us privy into what you're doing but uh what are you going to be working on next next well i'm not sure um some of the last work that i've done was on uh baskets uh, on FX, which is a very good show. I've watched it recently. Yeah, which was uh, awesome. Zach Galifianakis yeah. is yeah. hilarious. Louis C.K. produced. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it's a real. Uh, I'm I'm very proud of what I've been able to do. You know, just sort of to be attached to it in in a small way. You know, as we're working on it, uh, one of the producers that I was uh, talking to on the phone. You know, I could almost feel the excitement. Like this is going to be great. You know, and I thought, well, that's cool because uh, you never know. You know, I think that's one factor that a lot of people miss that, you know, when people are making a movie or a show, you know, it's it's pretty rare that you're working on something. You go, wow, this is going to be great. And that, you know, it turns out that you're right. But that's been pretty great. I love working with John Kreisel. You know, John was one of the first Tim and Eric hires. So we've we've worked together a lot over the years. And, you know, they've, uh, I think, finished writing season two of that. So. I don't know. Hopefully I'll get to get some songs in there or something. You know, I got to do a, a nice mock-up of a Neil Diamond song for, for the first season that actually confused somebody that reviewed it. So mission accomplished there. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Perfect. <laughs> but, I don't know if this is a real, I'm going to have to check, but <laughs> that, yeah, that is success, was, man. Yeah. They wanted to get Neil for that. And I, I don't know. Uh, they wanted to actually get Neil Diamond. They were gonna try, try and get him to sing it. Oh God! Yeah. And so I was kind of biting biting my nails there for a while. I kind of because Neil Diamond is like I'm I'm fascinated with him as a as a figure. He's just this like who is that guy? What you can't really you know, he was like a Brill Building guy and moved to L A. and then went hey you know let's let's go to Vegas. He like went to Vegas before he had a career that you know most of the people that were in Vegas in the seventies were. They'd had their, you know, Sinatra and Elvis. Oh, yeah, it's, yeah, this, yeah. it's the yeah. same now with, like, Britney Spears and anyone else who had a career. They just kind of go to yeah. Vegas. You, to, you either have your entire eat. career in Vegas or you have a career and then you go to Vegas. Yeah, and he he just went, ah, your Vegas is hot. Let's go. <laughs> you know, and, Neil Diamond's actually going to come up uh, for a second in our next, uh, in, in the 10 questions. But I uh, before we move into the 10 questions, just want to know if there's anything else you wanted to uh, chit-chat about, throw out there that uh, you want anybody to know before we get into our weird part of our show. No, I think it's just about covers it. <laughs> All right, <laughs> sounds good. We'll cover we'll cover some more. We're gonna get in some weird stuff in the ten questions. We're gonna find out a little bit more about you. Um, All right, cool. All, All right. right, so, so let's, uh, yeah, these are the ten questions uh, you probably have not been asked a ton in interviews before. Uh, some maybe you have okay. been. Some are specific to your craft and industry, and some are just random things we decided that uh, we're curious about. Um, okay, and, uh, I'll take the odds. Yeah, you take the evens. Sounds good to me. All right, Scott's gonna start it out. All right, number one, who is your favorite Ghostbuster? Uh, Ghostbusters didn't really stick for me. <laughs> Maybe. We, had, we asked this question uh, of everyone, yeah. so. I didn't hate the movie. Um, 
I guess I'm. Re- I guess I'm required to say Bill Murray. Uh, Bill Murray. There we go. Yeah. I think. I yeah. think he's kind of at, at the top of the list right now. We ask everybody. That's the one question we have asked every single guest since day one. So we, it's it's yeah. our obligatory question. It's our icebreaker. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> okay, uh, uh, something a little bit more in your wheelhouse here. Uh, if you could collaborate with any living artist today, who would it be? Peter Gabriel. Easy. You had that right off Damn, the bat. Is there yeah. any specific reason why uh, you just just always admired his stuff? Or he's. I just. Uh, you know. I love him. By the way, I, I love Gen- like old Genesis is my favorite. I'm a drummer, and the old Genesis stuff yeah, with, uh, yeah. with with uh, uh, oh, Phil and uh, oh my god, that like in the double drummer Phil and Chester Thompson and, and Peter Gabriel, that was fucking golden, man. Yeah, he's always he's always somebody that's come up that when I listen to his music or you know watch the music videos, it, he's consistently the one that I go, man, I want to be that guy. Yeah, Peter was like a, a package of just really super inventive stuff and um his uh, working with uh the different artists and you know producers that he that he worked with and accidentally creating a drum sound that ruined the 80s uh it was like the big i don't know yeah i think stadium sound yeah it's it's yeah it's it started there you know peter wanted to do a song that didn't have any cymbals and they were um and phil collins i guess they had made nice by then and phil was in working on a beat and they had a talkback mic in the middle of the studio room and they came in and heard that sound and went, Oh my God, that's it. That's perfect. Let's print that. And it's like, Oh, well, it's not wired that way. It's, it doesn't go to tape. Well, can we make it go to tape? And it was just a tiny little compressor circuit oh, okay. that just slammed it to the wall. So they did that. And then Phil used it for, uh, again on in the air tonight. Yeah. And he had, Phil had been, Phil had been like expanding his drum sound post once Peter left Genesis, you'll notice like, you know, albums like Wind and Wuthering where the drums have this big roomy sound. Yeah. yeah. So it's Peter Gabriel. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. <laughs> I, well, yeah, well, it's funny because I, I, I always put uh, Phil Collins actually ruining that that 80s drum sound. I didn't realize, I didn't even think that Peter Gabriel totally did it first. But uh, all right, Scott, all right. you got number three. Yeah. Number three. Uh, what is your favorite 80s movie? 80s movie. We know it's not Ghostbusters. <laughs> I was th- yeah it's not it's it's not Ghostbusters favorite 80s god that covers a lot of ground for me because that's like the age of 13 to 23 no I, yeah those are formative years I know for myself I'm a Star Wars yeah. geek so I always say Empire Strikes Back yeah I mean I, w- I had a grudge with Empire because of the cliffhanger you know it, it kind of been so long from the first one that I was I didn't... Uh, you got to the end, you're like, God damn it, I just want to finish this story. <laughs> yeah. Ah, oh, it's going to be another four fucking years to find out what happens with... You know. Honestly, I have the same um, gripe nowadays when they try to split the third movie in a trilogy into two halves. Mm-hmm. I, I, don't, right. I don't get it. I get they're trying to make more money, but it just irritates me well, as a it's, fan. It's purely commercial, but then as a fan, you're going to go see it and you're going like, to pay it, so you're actually right. feeding right into it. So Yeah, it's like some you know Peter Jackson deal where it's like, yeah, oh, it's going to be... a 13 part series on the Silmarillion. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Let's know. turn that 90 page pamphlet we call The Hobbit into a six hour epic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, The Hobbit movie. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so, so many issues. I had a friend of mine that like insisted we see it at 48 frames per second in 3D. And it was like the worst experience of my life. <laughs> I kind of felt the same way watching yeah, the second one of the Hobbit movies I went to see. And I was like, what the hell be, am I watching? It would be watching? if they were like three 90-minute movies. Be, what, like, <laughs> right. Yeah, but he, he, went, he went full George Lucas. Like the stupid hair on the dwarves. Come on. <laughs> you'd smell the spirit.
spirit gum in the theater. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think of what what really holds up. I mean, there's there's ones that that are sort of embarrassingly influential. Like you know, I think Platoon came out and uh, yeah, yeah, eighty six. With, yeah. w- within a year, I had joined the Marine Corps. <laughs> oh, Jesus, <laughs> it wasn't because of the movie. It was, uh, but uh, that reminds me, I need to go back and watch Platoon someday. Yeah. Oh no, don't, don't. It doesn't no, not hold no, up. No, 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 it's. I don't, you know, I can't imagine that it that it would. I, I think, you know, that was like one of the last bits that you know Oliver Stone did while restraining this massive like storytelling about his experience. It's it's you know it's 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 a good movie, but it's really kind of heavy-handed. And you know, if you're gonna go back and see a a, a movie about war in the Pacific, you know, The Thin Red Line yeah, that's, comes to mind. That's yeah, good. Yeah. yeah. That's, yeah. But, um, yeah, Platoon's a bit like, you know, hey, the one guy's a total hippie and the other one's a weird, <laughs> evil, hard ass. I, I, you, should, and, you, uh, should, you should totally do a redub of the uh, Platoon trailer exactly like that. Like, yeah, Charlie, yeah. Like, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Charlie Paid should. by numbers, baby. Yeah. <laughs> it was a crazy if hippie. If you got a problem with it, man, don't take it up with me, brother. You know. Yeah. <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be some quality stuff. I don't know. I'm I'm like fascinated with the remake of uh, the, the Razor's Edge um, with Bill Murray. Yeah. I don't know if you guys have ever seen that, <laughs> but it's a story about a uh, kind of a lost generation story. Uh, you know, where a guy comes back from the medical corps, from the First World War, and you know everybody's kind of their their whole rich society is you know they're they're all sort of battle scarred in their own way, and you know he goes off to Tibet. Uh, you, you can't help, you know, when you watch this thing, it's like, oh, okay, so basically this guy is disillusioned with Western society, he goes to Tibet, and receives enlightenment because he's Bill Murray. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. like, you know, he, he cracks some of the some of the monks up. and Well, because well, uh, if, I, like, if I recall, that came out, um, I mean, around the same time as Ghostbusters, uh, after Stripes, I guess, in that case, right? Yeah. Uh, so, so he was still he yeah, was still like Stripes, a comedic actor. Stripes was so, great. Yeah, he he's still very comedic. But yeah, he was that was his that, that was his yeah that was his turn at you know. But it's they still couldn't help you know having these scenes where it was like this uh, is a Tibetan monastery and he's goofing with the with the kids and stuff and it's this you know moment of like you know okay well he's you know he's fitting in now and it's just this sort of like whitewashed kind of like yeah bit, yeah chicago guy went up to the mountains bought got you know bought himself some enlightenment and all that but yes yeah, Str- stripes is is really you know what i'm gonna say comedy wise in the 80s comedy wise uh best movie is a groundhog day You're good all right awesome it yeah that's it's kind of it's kind of perfect it kind of well, is. Yeah. It's, it's something just, that I revisit myself often. It's it's just a great film. Yeah. Yeah. It's just well-rounded. It's so well-written. It's dark enough and just, you know, just thinky enough and and, uh, and just human enough. It's a great blend of all those things. And uh, it's I think it's Bill Murray's best work. Um, it's unfortunate that he had a schism with uh, Harold Ramis yeah, yeah. from it, but it's... It, it, oh, yeah. it really those, those two the way they work together was amazing yeah i think it's one of the best uh comedy movies ever made yeah. probably agreed yeah i kind of yeah. i makes me really need to go back and rewatch that one but uh we'll move on to uh we're, we're gonna move back into your wheelhouse with some uh some soft rock stuff uh I'm curious if you had to create if or not had to if you could create a soft rock super group uh who would be in it 
Okay. Soft Rock Supergroup. Hmm. Not Kenny Loggins. <laughs> um, that's that's the, the first order of business. Um, you know, I, the thing is, I don't I don't actually know that much about the people that were involved in making so much of that stuff because a lot of them were sort of one hit wonders. Well, how about any any rock super group? You can just take the soft out of it. Just just create your like ideal. If you had to like piece all the the most awesome uh, rock people together from your childhood like if i could now, put a, if i could just like string a just band make together a, yeah make a band you're you're the you're a new like uh you know producer or whatever uh you gotta make a, a brand new super group right now i don't know I, I think what i would put together would be if i were to put together a dream rock band it's it would be any number of the sort of super groups that did actually did actually existed yeah i was wondering about that in the, like, in the 70s yeah. and it would be awful like uk or uh <laughs> you know brand X, brand x like who's got some spare time come down and lay some it's the whole meter it's the whole garbage. thing where the idea is better than the actual well, finished product because you realize a lot of it was like one like genius front person with the like the great idea that came together with the rest of the group that like oh now you support me and we we can make this work whereas if you just have a bunch of these super group types clashing like yeah that's why super groups oh, generally man. don't really work actually but yeah well asia was a super group weren't they yeah and and it, you know they're uh we're just watching an asia video from the what was the one don't cry take a look around you it's yeah terrible <laughs> just wrote it wrote it in the parking lot pop song. <laughs> like like rest like and, uh, uh what is it resting on their laurels kind of thing we're just like yeah we're, we're yeah, amazing totally. we can just anything we create is going to be genius right because we're a super group <laughs> Oh, there we go. Yeah, it's you know Steve Howe is like my favorite guitar player ever, mm-hmm. and uh, but he was in in that period like he was just so noodly, just constantly chiming in, just like oh they hey they, they stop singing, <laughs> yeah, better rap. Remember, yeah, remember me? Don't forget old Howe. Yeah, yeah. you know what's funny is Alex Lifeson did the same thing with Rush um, in the late '80s, where he went from these nice riffs. To hey, we're just gonna program some synthesizers, and I'm gonna like digitize my guitar through, and just sort of chime in the atmosphere. Like, Ching! Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh god. <laughs> there was just no boss to it, but yeah. I, it, let me think. I'm trying to like dial it back to like soft rock supergroups. I think that sort of thing would implode. It it would you know you get seals and cross in a room with air supply, and then. It would just turn into a therapy session. <laughs> oh, oh, that, oh my god, that's that that's that's got to be like a great song, just a musical therapy session when you have the the whole super group come together and just like boop. I had a hard day yesterday. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's you know, there's there's a, a fairly typical Heidecker and Wood uh, <laughs> writing session. There was like you know stuff like Desert Island where it's like you know this guy's ultimate fantasy is to be alone on <laughs> with, with with nothing. <laughs> Um, but just these sort of pathetic figures. But, uh, yeah, it's funny. I, uh, was listening to NPR one time, like a bunch of years ago. And I heard this guy, he was like clearly a music guy talking about therapy and talking about his, his, his anger issues, you know, about his father and, you know, just very, you know, very open and definitely using the sort of self-help terminology and all this stuff. I was listening to it. It was on fresh air. Um, I thought it was James Taylor. So I'm listening, listening. Wow, wow, that's really yeah, man. That must have been that must have been heavy. And and then Terry Gross comes in. And she's like, 
We're talking with James Hetfield from Metallica right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nice. He was, I get, he was doing the, you know, the promo for that movie, that great, you know, movie about how much it sucks to be in Metallica. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's awful, probably. It's a rough, rough day. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. There's, there's so many, there's so many great, like, you know, bands that were, uh, I just, re- I really like the way that Steely Dan made Asia. Yeah. Where it was bring in, bring in a band to work on a song, um, you know, of, of these types and each, each tune has like different people on it. I thought that was, uh, sort of an amazing project. I mean, uh, me and Tim kind of got a tiny little taste of that making the second record. So we actually, we brought in a lot more people. Yeah. Um, you know, like different players and stuff. And it's, it's, it's really nice. Cause you know, when you hear your own stuff, you, know, you always kind of think, ah, it could have been a little better, but, um, you know, bring in people that are pros that are just doing things like, wow, I never would have thought of that. That's awesome. Um, yeah, there's that little ping pong thing that doesn't exactly, uh, happen if you're just left to your own devices or with somebody else you feel comfortable with, you can actually get a little, especially with other people who know the other instruments, better than you might hear them in your head a little bit in some way. And then you kind of like, Oh, this is sort of what I had. And then they fucking knock it out of the park. Yeah. Just like while chewing gum, they're just, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah, you mean like this? Bam, 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 bam. like, yeah, well, yeah, exactly. This is exactly what I heard in my head. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My credit credit to me. Thanks. You know, as a musician, you, you know, you, you start to appreciate the, the, you know, things like the, a really good rhythm guitar player. Yeah. It's, you know, so important. Or, you know, a bass player who can play melodically mm. without being, you know, and I I loved Chris Squire, trust me, but, you know, there's a lot of bass players that went way too far into the melodic thing. But, yeah, if I put together a super group, it would be a disaster. Uh, <laughs> let's, let's, let's keep it at that. <laughs> All right. Uh, Got to move on to number five. Scott, you want to take that? Number five. Uh, what was the last modern song that you uh, found yourself liking? Uh, probably... And that's always an interesting one too, because we all complain that modern yeah. music isn't that good, but that we all listen to it. I mean, yeah, yeah. There's, there's I hear I hear a lot about it from editors. You know, they're like, oh, you know, kind of a so and so thing, and you're like, who? And you go and listen to it and go, oh, okay, I see. What, you know, um, uh, I don't know about song wise, but album wise, and I'd ha- I'd have to look up the the album title, but I really did enjoy. Um, Tame Impala's record before they went um, more sort of dancey. Um, what was the name again? Tame Impala? Yeah. I'm actually not familiar with them at all. What kind of music is that? Uh, I, th- I think it's something called it's got some designation as like dark wave. Oh yeah, or, one of those or, micro genres. Yeah, neo psychedelic. Yeah, neo psychedelica. Yeah. Apparently, yeah. Basically, yeah. It's you know a lot of verb, a lot of reverb. And um, unapologetically, you know, with lots of, you know, vocal harmony and stuff, stuff I was kicking and screaming about, you know, 12, 13 years ago. Like, why did indie rock bands not do harmonies? It's stupid. That's interesting. I've never actually heard of that group. I will definitely, uh, definitely play some of that on the uh, the drive home from the studio. Yeah, it's the al- the album is called Lonerism. It's very, it's very good. It's, awesome. Um, and there's there's a bunch of bands around here, and like, you know, I live in Echo Park, uh, which is just ground zero for assholes now <laughs> um you know it's like you know you know when you drive around your neighborhood the billboards are for real estate agents you know gotcha yep like, hey, look look looking for a home 
we knocked this building down right under us. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and like the new sort of people coming in are just, there, there's, there's no more, you know, pretensions of being at all like working class. It's like pop collars and Chad and Trevor from the. <laughs> all Chads and all Trevors. Yeah. 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 You know, picture guy on his phone, like arguing with a gangbanger. <laughs> like, yo, man, I get it. I get it. I get your whole thing. I get the tattoos. All of it. I'm busy right now. I've got a clothing company to run. But, um, while he's being murdered. Um, <laughs> what was the question? There's a lot of bands yeah. out here that are doing sort of a... Uh, I've got a little bit of a problem with it. It's they're sort of willful it's one thing for, i think for me to to affect a recording to make it sound like it's from the 40s or something you know whatever which, whichever time period but when, when people are kind of doing that on their you know actual records you know that are meant to be real records um i can tell the plugins i can tell the yeah, you know yeah. um which soft synthesizer they're using here or maybe it's a real one and it's just purposefully making making it sound like a bedroom really you know, something like sparkle horse yeah 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 they've got it they've got like a uh they've got three thousand dollars worth of gear and they're trying to make it sound like 45 like a 45 dollar old uh yard sale four track or something yeah yeah but they're spending and, shitloads and, of money and, on and plugins think, to make it sound like that yeah yeah it's like well you know you've got just you've got a good recording setup why don't you make why don't you make it sound good yeah yeah um yeah that's don't it. try it's it's simple. Like, don't sell it as that don't you know don't don't it's like you're trying to it's disingenuous yeah. i think yeah, it, it, it's another thing when you're doing it like, like, as, like as parody or something when you it's supposed to have that sound because of like for a very specific reason but if you're actually making yeah like a like a, a song or something like that and then you're trying to actually almost manipulate the audience into thinking like oh they just recorded this in like a in like a bedroom in wisconsin in the woods or something and like yeah but they've got like yeah. a nice pro tool uh, setup that, in wisconsin in the woods yeah yeah it's not hard to you know uh <laughs> These, you know, it's it's well established that you know you can make music on your phone, yeah. um, and you know to whatever. But don't, yeah, don't don't make it sound like this twee fractured sort of you know because people get I think people get suckered into it, and it's been you know a source of you know controversy around the house where I'm like you know I just I can't I can't go there I, I just I feel this is they're lying yeah they're they're. <laughs> They're lying to us. <laughs> I, I I feel the same. Well, like, I'm, I I like this like the the thought and the feel sometimes of songs, and I'm like, eh, but I feel like there's just a little bit of fakeness that almost kind of ruins the actual quality of the songwriting you just made. So it's stupid. Like yeah, like I'm not stupid. I can yeah. I can actually hear it. Um, uh, so uh, yeah, yeah yeah. So we're gonna go with uh, Tame Impala. Was the <laughs> answer to to, to yeah? Play. I mean, I, right? the, 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 the album Lonerism, Yeah, because I actually have um, not heard that, and I wanna I wanna hear what that's all about. Oh, absolutely, I, yeah. It's it's very enjoyable. It's it's very. Uh, there's a lot of nice, really nice uh, chord progression work, and nice. And you know, the the guy's vocals are they're almost on the edge of okay, come on, it's it's that's a little too cute or whatever, but. Yeah, it's uh, just on the edge though. So you it's can still in, it, enjoy it. Yeah. It's inventive enough, and you know, I think their stuff, their later stuff, is kind of more you know dance oriented. and gotcha. Sounds more like a Honda commercial. Yeah. Well, we've got uh, number six here. Have you ever played the game Fuck Mary Kill? Do you know that one? 
where we give you. Uh, I I think I've yeah. We give you three names, and you choose which one you want to fuck, which one you marry, and which one you kill. Uh, this one's a little different because it's a. Uh, uh, they're actually all three male soft rock sort of names, but uh, you know, just play along. Fuck, marry, kill. Uh, Michael Mc Michael McDonald, Neil Diamond, Billy Joel. Which one do you fuck? Which one do you marry? Which one do you kill? Well, it's fuck Neil Diamond. Why? Well, I, I absolutely, is a mob. <laughs> you know he's got a monster cock. That guy. Who is? Who is? Is him? Billy Joel and, and, and Michael McDonald. Michael McDonald. Yeah. yeah, I'd fuck Neil Diamond, marry uh, Michael McDonald, and kill Billy Joel. All right. All right. There we go. Perfect. Somebody's. Somebody's. Somebody's got to do it. Somebody yeah, has yeah. to. Yeah, you know, he's had his moment. He's we, we've got his whole catalog. If you want to listen to it, you can. Just, just only you know, based only on his crimes against ten CC. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and I feel, I, I feel like I forget Michael McDonald would be a sensitive, like uh, you know, you could live with him the whole, you know, the rest of your life. Yeah, he he like I had this uh, when I worked at a, uh, a very you know one of those sort of hip restaurants in Atlanta in the nineties where you know. People went because you were nasty to them, you were very rude to them and stuff. And I had this whole like long running thing about Michael McDonald, uh, you know, one of those '80s white Mercedes with the uh, windshield wipers on the headlights. Oh God, yeah. And a big, a, a big loopy knit sweater and his hairy arms and a Rolex, <laughs> like driving through driving through the hood, going like, "Man, these brothers got problems." <laughs> yeah. You know. uh. Taking it to the <laughs> No, actually, you might have just goes 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 home and like puts the whole thing of fresh squeezed orange juice on his grand piano and <laughs> writes a writes hundred thousand dollar grand piano. Yeah, yeah. Oh man, I really felt it on that one. Oh, <laughs> had a close yeah. call, honey. Taking it to the. I'm gonna change. I'm gonna change the world before I go to bed. <laughs> it's funny, I, I watched that famous um, episode of What's Happening. You know the Doobie Brothers on there. You guys familiar with that? It's where rerun, you know, gets strong armed into <laughs> bootlegging you know, Doobie Brothers. <laughs> Who fucking wrote that? <laughs> these inner city kids, these African American inner city kids, <laughs> totally. are, cannot believe the Doobie Brothers are playing their high school. <laughs> oh uh, my god! Yeah, what, I wonder who was writing it. Premise of, yeah. So many sitcoms had such thin premises for bringing on a musical guest. You know, it's like. Flatten Scruggs on the Beverly Hillbillies is like, ding dong, uh, you know, yeah. uh, get the door, Granny, and then it's like, why it's Lester Flat and Earl Scruggs. Clap, clap, clap. Yeah, yeah. Right. They have a flat right, tire. We'd like to do a song for you right now. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, just turns out that's all we got for payment. If we could stay here tonight, bing, bang, 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 bang. We'll see you later. Yeah, yeah. yeah they reverse engineered yeah. it. Like we got a guest. We need to fucking like that's gonna actually get us some some ratings. How do we create a show around it? Well, we don't have to. It's easy. They just show up at the door. Boom. Yeah. Uh, you just just open, yeah. They're going. They're apparently going door to door, <laughs> playing songs, playing songs for, for, every, for everyone in Beverly Hills. <laughs> yeah, the the greatest, the greatest was the lazy sort of seven, like late seventies trope of, you know, there's the I forget what it's called now, but you know the the locker room episodes. They all get locked in the yeah meat locker yeah, or the, the elevator or something. There's yeah. The, yeah, there's the and then they just show you know it's like a clip show. But there's also the one where they like, just like, hey, gang, I know, let's put on a variety show. And you got, you know, Linda Lavin doing torch songs and, you know, somebody knows how to juggle. And, oh, yeah. You know, yeah. it's just, just the worst. <laughs> 
But anyway. All right. Actually, number, eight, number seven, right? That's a good segue. Speaking of just the worst, uh, what's the worst job you've ever had? Uh, easy. Uh, call center. Ooh, Ooh that yeah, does yeah, sound yeah, bad. That sounds pretty bad. Uh, what, when, when was that? Yeah. That was that was pre, obviously. I I I took uh, you know I, I worked in high school you know I uh, some restaurant jobs, um, and then I took a class where part of like I got out of school an hour early that you're supposed to go to a job, so I went and got hired at this call center. You, you have to realize this call center was. Yeah, it was like a row of little sort of booths from like a terrible library and, you know, a phone and a phone book. There was no, like, it was all cold calls. There was, there was no, they had nothing. They had, they had phone books. Hey, come in here and work. We have phone books. (laughs) Um, Start a day. Keep going. The most dismal. It was, it was just horrible. The fluorescent lighting, the, just the, the people there. So yeah, I got hired there, and I ended up getting an F in the class because I uh, you had a uh, ten minute break per hour at that place because um, everybody smoked cigarettes back then. And so yeah, I worked there for exactly fifty minutes. Went out and lit a cigarette and just walked out of my car. <laughs> <laughs> that was it. Yeah. <laughs> so, that was it. Yeah, right. just like not even no goodbye. That's like no, I'm I'm not doing that. <laughs> well, well, switching gears now to to one of the greatest. Uh, what's the greatest movie or TV soundtrack or score you've ever heard? The greatest yeah. um, or your favorite? The greatest or favorite? I guess. Uh, yeah, yeah. Different, obviously. Well, I think one of my one of my favorites uh, is the score for uh, Watership Down. Oh my God, that I. Yeah. That's that's a good poll. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That that movie depresses yeah, the shit out of me, man. Ugh. I love it, and you know, I, my girlfriend is uh, a Brit, and she's never seen it, and um, and I'm like, I don't know, like, <laughs> I don't know when's the right time for, you know, for somebody to see that movie. It's you know, they they definitely they made the movie poster very dark, just because uh, you know. You can't, like this is not for kids. But I, okay? Yeah, but I saw it as a kid because I thought it was for kids, and I, I remember watching it recently. I'm like, oh my god, that wasn't for kids. Well, that came it's out not during even that... for me. It's so so. Sad. Well, there was that dark '80s like Watership like, Down, Secret and Nim, yeah. uh, The Black Cauldron. Yeah, they made all these movies that were super dark. Yeah, yeah, they were animated. Yeah, yeah. well, yeah, it, it um, and it's like you know, definitely you know, very beautifully paint actual you know painted. Uh, backgrounds and stuff uh i i think it's a tremendous it, the story you know go read the story about how it almost didn't get made it's 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 pretty great and the the composer angela morley um just there was actually two composers of the, the uh the intro uh sequence that's uh done in that very 70s kind of style um about the whole mythology of the rabbit culture um was the first composer they hired and he just sort of he was just he had like a breakdown and he just literally like i've got nothing i've got this sketched out and they had angela morley come in um and then take that and and sort of rework it but the uh it's just it's very 
it's got a lot of you know different kind of notes. You know, the the, the triumphant themes are very uh, very good. It, it's very English. Yeah, it's one of the most like Eng- English movies. Uh, you know, um, I think I think Howard Shore probably took a cue from it when he was doing Lord of the Rings. I, not uh, essentially because. Tolkien viewed the hobbits as English folk, but, uh, yeah, it's, it, 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 there's notes of like Bernard Herman in there during some of the scarier parts. And it's, it's just a fantastic, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know if often over, yeah, I don't know if I've actually paid attention to the score when I've watched it. Cause mostly I've, I've been suffering from, uh, crying and almost crippling depression after watching it, but I'll actually, next time I, I sit down and check yeah. it out, if I ever want to put myself through that again, um, I will actually pay attention to the. Yeah, and I'm sure that actually had a lot to do with the like evoking the emotion. It was the the score. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. The themes are, the themes were were well represented, you know, in different ways. Um, you know, uh, the the um, you know, it's it, and it's good that you didn't notice it. You know, yeah. When you notice the score, it's kind of you know, it's like some like. For example, that thing that everybody puts on their YouTube videos now, like Ultimate Fighting compilations or whatever, that shitty score from Requiem for a Dream. Um, You know, like watching that in the theater going, God, geez, enough. Yeah, yeah, you know what he's slammed in your head? Like it's supposed to be supporting the the, the film and the visuals at that point. You shouldn't be noticed. Yeah. You shouldn't be. It's like good design. You need to notice the score. On like the fourth or fifth viewing, probably you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, but like I gotta say that there's that, and then there, you know, my number one favorite movie of all time is Jaws. Oh God, yeah. Um, and which is you know famous for its uh, score, you know, more or less being a, a character yeah, in the yeah. movie. It's, it's very minimalist, you know, it's John- but it's like it's. It, it, yeah, yeah. It, it, it you're creates, afraid of John Williams. It creates the tension. I mean, everybody knows Jaws by da, 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 like those two notes over yeah. and over again, and then slowly. It was getting, iconic, uh, and I was, you know, the perfect age to be seeing it. You know, I was, you know, ten years old, and um, or nine, I guess. Um, you know, definitely into sharks, definitely into ocean life, and this, you know, movie comes along, just more or less changes the movie industry single-handedly, in, you know, inventing the summer blockbuster and um but yeah the you know even like even my dad my dad's like born in 1931 <laughs> you know he's like oh yeah the jaws the music on that oh boy but it's you know i love john williams you know because he's the you know elf in the room but his i love his underscore work especially like during action scenes and stuff it's, you know it's for me, it's not. It's not the big, you know, da 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 da. Yeah, yeah. It's just these weird, weird moments. Um, but Angela Morley in Watership Down has, you know, a lot of rich stuff like that in those scenes. It is available as a soundtrack record. You can you can buy it. Highly recommend. Awesome. All right, uh, we're gonna move on to number nine. Uh, if you could have any superpower, what would it be? Any superpower. This is another one of the questions we often pull on a wide variety of I guests think, to see I, what they have to say. <laughs> I think it would be the ability to go 
five minutes back in time when I've said something stupid. Ah. <laughs> That's nice. Just like that, like slight time travel. Not one of those like big idea, like I want to go back in time so I can kill Hitler, baby. Yeah. It's yeah. Like, no, I just want to like. Just it's a very reasonable request. Yeah, yeah. It is. And it would keep yeah, you out of you, trouble. You want to be careful. You want to be careful what you ask for. So you know, I think that's a low impact kind of super. Yeah, you're not really gonna like fuck up the whole space time continuum by going back five minutes and be like, let me pretend. Yeah. yeah. Especially in this day and age with Twitter and all just the social the- media and stuff, you're like, you know, maybe I didn't need to post that. Yeah, just five minutes. Uh, whoops, my coffee tastes like orange juice. I'll live with it. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Uh, well, we got uh, number ten here. This one, we always do a ten words or less question, and I'm curious in ten words or less. Can you explain the state of the music industry in 2016? Garage sale. <laughs> I love it. You're the only person that's ever chosen less. Everybody else goes an exact 10 words or more. You just flat out were like, you know what? Fuck it. Garage sale. Perfect. Yeah. I, you know, yeah, that, that's that's what it feels like. Garage sale and nobody wants to pay for uh, anything. Everybody wants go, to go in and, and yeah, go, yeah. go, go. Going out of business, so yeah. 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 Everybody, everybody yeah. wants to come in. Nobody wants to pay for a single thing. They think that great thing that you have on the shelf is worth zero dollars and zero cents, and you should fucking blow them for the right. for the for the opportunity that they like yeah. this shit. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. Well, you know, they, they used to the the sort of you know advice uh, industry, you know, surrounding the music business. Uh, when I got started in TV work, it was like, hey. You know, charge people. You know, don't don't give away your 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 CDs. You know, if, if somebody pays ten bucks for your CD, they're going to actually listen to it more. There's this you know weird, thing. and that's just you know completely obliterated. And so many uh, you know major artists are you know having to explore you know options like let's all right uh, you know. It's the black keys, you know, do you guys want to license your stuff to a renews it (laughs) um, campaign? Um, And they're and they're Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, because 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 I made forty five dollars on Spotify last week for forty five million views. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. 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 It's 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 in a very, very weird place. And, you know, I think my message to you know younger people is look you got to pay attention to the stuff because you know i've lived through some fairly shitty musical periods for various reasons like you know like say american rock and roll suffered in the late 70s because we didn't embrace punk rock sort of sort of like new wave but you know all the record companies had put their eggs in the disco basket and you know and you know had a great few years and then you know john travolta made you know saturday night fever and it was awesome but then he had to go and turn around and and make urban cowboy which is the same movie about a different musical style yeah and they were like left sort of oh shit you know now nashville's ah what do we do it was like you know black tuesday uh and uh you know th- you know think of a great american rock band in the late like late 70s early 80s it's pretty tough <laughs> you know yeah. stick sticks was on top of on top of their game <laughs> <laughs> well at least we had that you know. yeah. <laughs> at least yeah. at least we got so sticks. don't you know take learn learn that lesson you know if you you know if you're young and you know you don't feel like you should support music you know just put on a 
you know, go to go to YouTube and listen to you know uh, Dennis DeYoung's um, Desert Moon full album, and this this is your future. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah, it's it's uh, I, I I think you know a lot of artists are having to um sort of up their game and they've got to offer more than, than just music here. There needs to be more of a, you know, complete experience, but, uh, I, you know, I can't believe like when I first saw an MP3, you know, I thought, why that's a video codec. Why are they using that for audio? And this is like some EDU site and sound of a tiger roaring, I think. And I downloaded it and it was like a really small, like 38 K, sound i was like wow oh shit that's gonna be huge yeah, yeah. oh my god wow it's gonna change and the at game at the time i was still in that stupid you know kind of 90s yeah screw the major labels man it's all about diy or die and let them burn and just not really realizing uh yeah it's gonna really screw a lot of independent artists as well yeah and, uh, and I, I i really hope that we're in a, a position where uh we're still trying to figure it out. I'm really hoping that it's going to figure itself out so that, uh, cause, cause I feel like, you know, we, it was definitely like uh screw you to the major labels at some point where we kind of, they're not out of the game, but they're definitely not where they were in the early nineties and in mid nineties and late eighties and stuff. Yeah. Uh, but, but at the same time, the, the artists really haven't seen anything more from it because now all of a sudden larger app providers and stuff like Spotify are seeing the money or people aren't seeing money, period. People are just getting stuff for free. So I'm hoping we're in like a weird, wild, yeah. westy period where uh, we're, we're going to well, – yeah. I, I hope we figure it out because I don't want to like – people have to realize people have to make a living at some point to continue making the stuff you love to listen to for free. And at some point, people need yeah. to need to be able to at least buy food. They might not need to make millions of dollars or anything, but like, let them at least have a minimum wage job while they're providing you with all the amazing stuff you love while you're doing your job. Yeah, I mean, it, it, the the thing is, you know, music is a is still a relatively new industry. Yeah, especially know, recorded. To, yeah, like text, yeah. yeah, yeah, compared to like textiles. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's there. There, there have been these wild west periods. You know, you had the whole payola scandal in the fifties. Um, the, the the excesses. You know, Casablanca Records in the seventies. You know, people putting too much, overextending themselves into artist development, which was really more like you know, artist indulgence. You're know, like, yeah, we're going to book the studio for six months, and you know, basically just party in there. For, yeah, yeah, you know. right. Um. This one, you know, I don't. I don't know what the what the big labels are going to do. You know, for a while there, people thought, well, they're they're going to be tastemakers. You know, somebody's got to filter through all the garbage. But but now um, people, and now that's is blogs and uh, Pandora. Yeah, but I was going to say blogs, Pandora, Spotify. They help you and people curating playlists. Yeah, they they pan they they pan through the garbage. So. Uh, and it's kind of shitty because it's an al- it's an algorithm, not a person, right. and so it's in got most, no personality. Yeah, in, in most cases, it is. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's actually calculated. So, I, so it's I, not necessarily any was, different uh, than the formula that uh, record label execs were applying. Like they were applying a formula you know, to determine what was going to be popular and what they what people should hear. Well, you know, Frank Zappa. If I don't know if you guys have seen, you know, he's you know the thing he says about you know the guys back in the '60s. These guys were cigar chomping business guys. You know, and they went, I don't know what it is, but I'm going to sell it. 
you know yeah you got to people got to do what they wanted to do and then they started to let the hipsters in and uh you know going like oh no i know that i know the deal i know what the people want you know and um yeah. and it, you know that, that was just sort of rant about things then which i i think that interview was probably during that time probably around like 1980 where it was just kind of uh, everything was pretty screwed up um it's it's a herd you know mentality too like in the 90s you know record companies just you know massively hiring you know younger and younger a and r you know get out there and find the next nirvana and uh you know by the time they came back with something though you know the whole thing was over and they were just snapping up bands with ridiculous deals wasting all wasting all this money on you know stuff like Stone Temple Pilots and yeah, where, where like things sound never, sounded a little bit like the the thing that was popular, but the thing that became popular, like Nirvana stuff, became popular because it was kind of creating a almost like a cultural revolution because it sounded different and it was spitting in the face of what the yeah. record execs were putting in your face, and then the record execs picked up yeah. on that and said, "Hey, let's put this in everybody's face," and it worked for a while. But uh, with that, Davin, uh, I, I feel like we've touched we we just we just touched on. Uh, the entirety of why music is is good and bad at the same time uh, during the year of 2016. Uh, so that concludes our, our 10 questions. Uh, is there anything else you want to uh, chat with our listeners about before we uh, cut it loose here? Well, in this election year... <laughs> well, <that's, laughs> yeah. Let's, let's, let's talk Brexit. All right. Uh, let's not do that. <laughs> let's get it figured yeah. out. <laughs> um, Davin, we really appreciate you taking the time to, to, to chat with us. Um, sure. It's great getting your insights. Um, uh, we're... we're huge music fans at the lost at home podcast we're gra- glad to pick your brains about Thank that you. we're glad like glad to pick your brain about one of our favorite shows tim and eric's awesome show hopefully our listeners appreciate that stuff as well and listen to uh heidecker and wood anything else you uh have your hands in and uh thank you very much davin okay. for being on the show it was my pleasure thanks thank guys. you very much thanks again davin wood for being on the show and uh letting us pick your brain a little bit that was very nice of you, and I hope everybody out there enjoyed it. That actually does it for our show this week. Remember to go to our site at lostathomepodcast.com and click on that BAMBOX link and enter the uh, LAH10 code when you get to BAMBOX to save 10% and, of course, help the show out a little bit. Um, while you're on the site, feel free to check out our store where you can also grab a bunch of fun merch like shirts and mugs and baby rompers and all sorts of other fun stuff. Uh, catch us on Twitter. That's at the loss at home. Shout us out there. Uh, I Jeremiah. I'm at Sonic Jalopy. You can get me there as well. Um, if you like this episode, also head over to iTunes and subscribe, or uh, leave a five star review. And we haven't forgot about the Android folks. We are actually now on the Google Play Store, so anybody uh, using uh, Android can go and subscribe there as well. Uh, just look us up on the podcast area of the music part of the application. Um, we're actually going to leave you this week with some of Davin's work from Tim and Eric uh, that we touched on in the show a little bit. This one actually is the jingle for Rolo Tony Browntown, and we will see you all next time around. Thanks. <laughs>
some more